Hello and welcome to another episode of The Code of Career with me, Cameron Blackwood. Today's guest is Fraser Merrifield. Fraser is a highly experienced technical recruiter who has specialised in a variety of digital roles across the Scottish Central Belt for over a decade. Fraser joins us today to explain how you can get the inside track when you're looking for either your first, second, third, fourth job in tech, but particularly for the juniors among us who may be going for their first or second role. We'll also discuss the future of the Scottish tech scene, about why people should either stay here or decide to move here. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And as mentioned previously, I'm currently foregoing a sponsor to instead promote the Code of Career Patreon. You can find the links for that in the description, but I'm rolling out a number of rewards for the patrons. I do want to stress though, do not feel obliged to sign up. I know many of my listeners are either looking for a job or they're in full-time education and don't necessarily have the cash to spare. So don't feel guilty about not contributing. But with that out of the way, it's time to grab a coffee, push those commits and enjoy the show. Hi Fraser, thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. You? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Not bad. As we were saying off air, um, today is probably the first day that we have not been battered by gale force winds in a few uh, in a few weeks so uh, I'm uh, enjoying the sunshine a little bit so um, it is uh, it is all good um, so for listeners who may not be familiar with you uh, although you do have quite a sizable following on LinkedIn uh, I've noticed do you want to give a bit of a rundown about who you are and what you work on uh, yeah so um, basically I work in oh, where do you want to start I work in tech recruitment so I've been doing kind of tech and digital recruitment for about 15 years but um, as you do in the middle of the pandemic, I quit my job, set up my own business, and uh, and yeah, formed form form careers, which uh, so basically covering kind of software and digital recruitment, and I've been doing that for the last uh, just coming over a year now. Um, yeah, that's what I do. Very very nice, very nice. Uh, so you've uh, kind of seen seen everything going from the trainee recruiters to the point now where you're running your own company. So you've been through the the whole cycle. So a lot of lessons learned from there, I can imagine. A lot of lessons. I've been through the mill. I've seen every every part of recruitment, and it's an industry that gets so much stick. Um, a lot of it rightly deserved. Um, <laughs> a lot of it. It's an industry that gets a lot of stick because it is it's emotive. Um, it's people's careers it's people companies that we deal with um, if you get it done right people love you if you don't do it right people absolutely hate you so it's a really interesting industry because it's so polarized across it so it's been quite interesting taking on the whole piece and actually running that as a business rather than a recruiter in someone else's business um, where you're involved in LinkedIn for example yeah as you say I mean I've got a following of about 22,000 now um which has all just been actually i think i started it to keep myself sane during lockdown um but now i use it to to kind of build the brand to actually get stories out to, to i use it to help people a lot in terms of career searching and what to look for and these kind of things so it's just there's so many aspects of it running the business now that um yeah lessons learned would be you could write a book <laughs> good stuff and uh so so how we normally like to warm things up on the code of career is go through some quick fire questions um if that sounds good for you F- fire off some ones uh, see if you get some hot take answers or anything like that if that sounds good yep go for it cool good stuff what was your first ever computer right okay this will this will throw people um my dad worked from home back before it was cool um, <laughs> he always worked from home so i grew up with him working he worked in uh, in airline sales um and so he had he had everything he had the original car phone 
which was cool. Huge big box underneath the front seat, massive proper 80s car phone. And he had uh, his computer, I think it was a BBC, green screen dot matrix printer, proper old school. Um, certainly didn't run Doom back in those days. Um, I was a I was a gamer. My, I've got to say my first my first, if you can call it computer, was an Atari twenty six hundred. Um, there's probably a lot of people listening now going, "What the hell?" Um, it was wood effect, nice wood panel. Oh, I've seen videos of those on YouTube. Those are really oh, cool. They, they don't make them like those anymore. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that in a record thing on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, no, it was like proper old school. It was like big ass cartridges, a one button joystick. It was wood paneling effect. It played Centipede was probably the most frustrating game on it, but it was proper old school eight bit. So that was what I started on. I was always a console gamer. Um, probably why I don't actually work in tech now, and I just recruit people <laughs> that can do it. Um, so yeah, and then I, I actually ended up um, while I was uni. I used to build PCs. I worked for a game shop, um, but they actually used to build custom gaming systems. So the technician at the time, a guy called Chewy, because he looked like Chewbacca. Um, he was terrible with customers, brilliant at building PCs. So I was brought in to actually be the front-facing guy for the, the PC upgrade business. But he basically taught me how to strip PCs, build them from scratch, upgrades. Um, great on the hardware side of it. Software a little bit more finicky. He usually had to help me out with all that piece. But that was kind of my early intros into into gaming. Very nice. So you were really immersed in it from a young age then. So it's not not surprising you ended up in this uh, in this uh, in this sphere. And in terms of, um, you know, you're traveling around and like, uh, obviously you will have recruited people in different, in different cities and uh, people in different places. Um, do you have a favorite tech city? Glasgow. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Scotland's actually been really interesting recently. I think Glasgow and Edinburgh are two of the biggest hubs outside of London in the UK now. Um, now, yeah, it would be great to be out in San Francisco recruiting Silicon Valley and things. I mean, I'm going to say if there was ever anywhere I was going to live in the US, it would be San Francisco or that area. Um, but Glasgow and Edinburgh are just phenomenal in terms of how much they've matured over the last few years. They've become massive incubators for tech startups and across such a huge range of industries. It used to be just banking and finance. And now you've got that whole fintech industry cropping up. You've got... Um, you've got the health tech, pharma tech, you've got tech for good, you've got um, green energy companies. There's literally, there isn't an area of the market in the central belt of Scotland that isn't covered by the startup scene. So mm. it's really interesting to work with them because you actually get to help shape and form companies. Yeah, d- definitely. And I mean, it, it is, it's just such a, it's, it's a very positive vibe, like working in the central belt. Like people are really ambitious about what, about what it's going to become because of the amount it's grown in the past few years. And, you know, give, give me the Silicon Glen over the Silicon Valley any day. Like, I, 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 lo- I love it here. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm, on, I'm in the other, uh, for those who aren't familiar, uh, I'm in Edinburgh, Fraser and Glasgow, traditionally big rivalry between the two cities, but some awesome tech uh, in both of them. And Dundee as well, of course, um, famous for the game development uh, up, up there. And, yeah, I, I think a lot of the credit goes to, as well as, as, well as those uh, runaway success startups from sort of 10, 15 years ago, um, the university departments as well across Scotland being fantastic. And uh, so much innovation uh, has come out of this country. And uh, it, it's just uh, in tech in the last 20 years, it, it's, it's one of the coolest places, most underrated places to be. And certainly if you're looking outside of London, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's one of the best places to be a developer in the UK. 
I think the fact that the supports there is really interesting because there's so many government grants and schemes and there's so much investment into it. I mean, you look at Dundee, for example. Dundee kicked off, again, I can go old school, and they, they, they developed Lemmings back in the day. That was one of the first big games from Scotland. But then you had Rockstar come along with Grand Theft Auto and absolutely nail it, and now one of the biggest gaming companies in the world. But uh, you look at Dundee as a, as a kind of tech hub for gaming, and they're now looking at, they're now, there's plans in place to build a massive esports arena in Dundee on the waterfront, um, which is, I believe, in, in, in fairly kind of far on backing. So the investments there um, across each of these industries to actually put an infrastructure, put training, put development into kind of grassroots level tech. So it's really cool. There's always something new kind of cropping up. Absolutely. And Dundee in particular is an amazing case. My, my parents live just across the water from it. And uh, it, it's, it's somewhere that historically was such a powerful city for, you know, for different reasons for, for the industry there. And now is it's it's becoming a real textbook example of how you can almost rewrite a city's uh, identity and, and, and give it a, um, turn it from something that is uh, historically a powerful place to actually a real innovator and not, not get lost by deindustrialization. It, it's, there's a really positive vibe going around the city there. And like you say, the, the investment is exciting. I hadn't heard about the esports arena uh, that that would be uh, that would be a pretty cool thing to have in Scotland, I think. It's quite cool. It's, I mean, it's a huge complex. It's sitting down because they've obviously they've rebuilt the entire waterfront in Dundee, which has all been part of it of the city reinventing itself. I mean, God, I used to spend quite a bit of time in Dundee, and it was it was proper old school. And now they've just almost ripped the place up and rebuilt it. The universities have gone really into the gaming industries, but the esports arena that they're looking at building there is phenomenal. It's uh, it would be I've never seen anything like that live um but i actually think it looks like it would be a really impressive place to go and actually view so it'll be interesting to come up with yeah absolutely and apologies if there's any uh hammering coming through i think one of my neighbors must be doing diy unfortunately uh <laughs> um but but yeah i think dundee's fantastic and um for any of our listeners who find, find themselves um up in scotland like don't just go to Edmund glasgow dundee is definitely worth visiting it's a fascinating place and it's really uh the contrast between the old and new uh, like within a few meters of each other, almost in certain cases, uh, is really cool. Like you say, all the new development, um, and yet you know you walk just a little bit through town, you see the old football stadiums and everything. It's uh, it's it, it's a it's a cool place and really interesting. So yeah, I think um, yeah, there's so so much cool tech going on in uh, in Scotland. And uh, I've I've noticed I've written on the notes what music to listen to when coding. We'll add recruit recruiting into coding here. Um, that's obviously a copied and pasted question. Uh, <laughs> uh, so what type of music do you like to listen to when you're working? Um, usually Chemical Brothers, Daft Punk, Orbital, old school dance stuff like that. I've actually got a wide mix. It depends what I, what I'm doing. Um, a lot of the time I'm not listening to music because obviously I'm speaking to people. But if if I'm sitting and I have to just like go out and find people for companies, then I'll generally put on something like that. Old school hip hop, um, always a winner. Um, I've got quite a wide range. Um, if I'm angry, Motley Crue, some good old, good old school rock. I don't have any one specific genre of music. So, but the only time I put music on is when I'm really, when I have to get my head around, get all the distractions out of the way and sit, it's probably similar to when you're, when you're sitting coding, I have to sit and hunt mm. for people and I have to go and find software developers. So when I'm in that kind of mode, you just have to shut everything off and actually just go and get on with it. Um, so yeah, wide mix. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, do you have situational 
playlist like with the angry one like Canada has ghosted me and then uh, <laughs> yeah you know, there's been a lot of uh, Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses this month but um, oh. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah no it's uh, the, the only problem with that is, is if you're in a bad mood and start listening to rock music it can properly confound it so. <laughs> And in terms of when you like to get uh, to get your work done, uh, would you say you're an early bird or a night owl? Night. night. Interesting. Um, That's very different for a recruiter. I think you're the first recruiter that said they're a night owl so far on this show. Recruiters are trained to be up early and working early. And, uh, and I think it's an industry thing. I think it goes back to old school recruitment where if you weren't at your desk at 7.30 in the morning, you were late. Yeah. And I think the reason that always existed was because People started work at nine and you wanted to catch people before work. And then when nine o'clock hit, you were trying to catch clients who had logged in for the day, sitting, having a coffee, chilled out and their guards down a bit and they're not knee deep in meetings. So typically a recruiter day always started early. Um, since I started the business, um, a lot of developers work late. A lot of people work different hours. Um, I quite often catch people at eleven o'clock at night. I was I was setting up interviews at eleven o'clock last night, um, for lunchtime today. Um, people are people work all sorts of different weird and wonderful hours. And uh, I've got I've got three kids, so my day kind of splits into real family work life balance. So I'll get up in the morning and I'll do a little bit of work, but I'm until I've had three coffees, I'm not the most focused person and then under the sun. So I can clear my inbox and I can do some blogging on LinkedIn and, and, and chat to people. But when it comes to real focused activities, the kids go to bed at eight o'clock. Um, by the time I've actually unwound from that, I can quite often work through till midnight after that, but then I'll take breaks during the day. In the mornings, I've got drop-offs. In the afternoons, I'll be playing video games with the kids. I'm meant to do that when they're that age, um, parents in the year. Um, so I'll spend time with them, and I'll spend time with family, and I'll actually get to sit down and have dinner, which is something as a recruiter is an absolute luxury when the industry was set on starting at 8 o'clock and finishing at 8 o'clock, and you missed your whole life. So actually, the luxury of being a night owl is, is a fairly new one to myself, but definitely more focused in the evenings absolutely and i guess that's the beauty of owning your own business right you, you know you, you're the one that sets your own hours and everything like that so particularly in the recruitment industry where um as you said the old school mentality still really can prevail it certainly did when i was working in it um so yeah that uh, that that sounds really cool um and I, I definitely think there's something to be said for, as you said, train for it. Like people do end up working early. So um, I never quite got the hang of working early, which is maybe why I had an exit from recruitment. Uh, <laughs> that and a number of factors. That and I was bad at it. Uh, <laughs> and what, what about, we, we talked about a previous job you had, obviously, with doing the hardware stuff with computers. Um, when you were a kid, what did you want to do uh, when you were an adult? I'm meant to have an answer for this, aren't I? I had no idea. I was never that organized. Um, I was, uh, as a kid, I was hyperactive. Not a lot's changed. Um, I I was more interested in the here and now than what was going to happen in the future. I don't think I was, I was never the guy that wanted to be an astronaut. I was probably the guy that wanted to go and sit and play Mortal Kombat um, and do whatever it was on that part of the day. So I was never that forward focused. So Actually, it was something when I got to things, when I went to uni, I did uh, technology and business studies, which combined computer science, engineering, marketing, economics. And uh, 
it was a really varied degree because I genuinely had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and I fell into recruitment um, on the back of the fact that I knew tech and I was good at talking. <laughs> and, that, uh, that's exactly what happened to me, you know. Like, if my uni had offered that degree, I would have done that. I just did straight business, but I live with computer science students, so I got into tech as well. Um, but, yeah, that's exactly what happened to me. I could talk, I knew business, and I knew tech, so I ended up in recruitment as well. Yeah, I mean, I can't code. I mean, I'm terrible at it. I did coding. I, I did a, a basic card game in Java. Like, I did not even add it. I mean, it was basically, it was like black screen stuff and it was uh i could write the code i could do it but as soon as it came to debugging it i was just i was the guy that was first to want to throw the computer out the window i didn't i don't have the patience for it my brain my brain's too hyperactive but i love the i love the product aspect of it um i love the creativity of it if i was if i could do anything i would do software or i would be an engineer i would do something where i was using my hands building stuff so again it's a reason for starting the business is i actually get to help companies build their teams i get to help companies create stuff and i'm a real part of that process so although i fell into recruitment because i genuinely had no idea what i was doing with my life it actually suits really well because i like building stuff and that's ultimately what i do when you strip it all down i I build teams and i help people build out their careers in what they want to do so yeah and i guess that must be what the really satisfying part about running your own sort of boutique agency must be must be partnering up with with startups and helping them scale and almost being that company builder and i've always preached on this podcast both for candidates and employers just to treat a recruiter like a business partner partner because if you're working with a great recruiter whether you're hiring or you're being hired you know it's it's only going to help you exponentially like uh i don't know this going a bit off topic and i'm not going to name who posted it did you see that ridiculous post on linkedin earlier this week about how recruitment fees should be capped. Five to ten percent, uh, and you were going to say that one. Um, yes, I bet on it. <laughs> I, bet, I bet on it as well. I'm not going to recruit you anymore. I bet, and I, bet on it, on it. I bet on it yesterday, and I saw someone else posting it up again today on the same debate. Um, I don't know what the end goal on it was. I don't know whether it was just to rile recruiters. Now, basically, the argument, I should say the argument was what, what rates should recruiters work at, and, and five to ten percent feels fair. Um, I would love Starbucks to be working on five to ten percent rates because my coffee would be about twenty seven p. I would love to see a. I would love to see any service. Co- I would love to see a tech company that builds product on five to ten percent. I'm sure Rockstar Games wouldn't be quite as big as they are now if they were working on those margins. But um, it was an interesting one, and it was. It's an ongoing argument from companies that don't value recruiters. But you know what? For every company that doesn't value recruiters, there's another company that really wants to partner up with one. Um, we'll probably get into it more later, and I'm going to run right off topic on this one, but I wouldn't even just say it's picking companies that value what you do. When you're recruiting or when you're working with a recruiter or when you're looking at companies to work with, pick people you like. That's the real luxury that I've got as a business is I work with people that I like. Um, all the LinkedIn blogging that I do, all that does is attract people that have similar lines of thinking to me um, and that kind of get what I'm all about. So the reason I do that is because it attracts like-minded people. So by the time I even pick up the phone to someone, you kind of know that they're going to be on your wavelength because they follow you for a reason. Um, and most of my clients come through that. So I've actually, I've just picked up a new client today and I spent about an hour chatting to them about culture. 
and about working in partnership with them to get the right people in place and find uh, even finding people where to fill gaps diversity is a big thing in my game and diversity is one of these things where you want to build a team that's got a really good culture but you also have to plug gaps and put people in that don't fit that culture culture has to be diversified and you can only do that by really understanding who you're who you're working with if you're a candidate and you want to get on the market you want to get a recruiter to find your job in software and design and in devops and whatever tech or whatever industry you're in find a recruiter that you get on with that values you, that understands you, that has similar like-mindedness to you, because they'll probably put you in front of companies that you'll vibe with in the first place. Yeah, I couldn't it's agree real, more. It's a real plus if you actually just focus your search on finding people that you get on with. That, definitely. And I think if people are going to the effort of uh, content marketing, particularly as a recruiter, when you could there's kind of two strategies i've noticed i mean obviously from my time working it but now as a as a candidate um so to speak because i'm, I'm you know i get recruiter messages working in tech and um it, it's just good generally to see that someone's kind of understands the industry and, and is making an effort to make a uh you know a quality get a quality reach out there um versus like i you know you just get the same spammy ones and like people see people see through it like I've had like two recruiters in particular who, again, of course, I'm not going to name, um, but they've sent me the same. You can see in my inbox, it's the same copy and pasted message each time. Um, one in particular keeps telling me that uh, a CEO of a company has specifically asked me by name. And I actually responded to him. He's now stopped because I responded to him and said, well, why doesn't he just save 15% and just <laughs> message me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but but yeah, I mean, it's so much better if you see that someone's pushing out genuine good content because you know that they, they've one, got your back and two, they understand the industry. Yep, um, 100%. And you've even, I mean, you've touched on another point, cut and paste content in the recruitment industry. Um, I do it. Everyone does it. If I've got to find myself a, a UX designer, for example, part of my job is pulling up a list of UX designers who have a certain set of skills and emailing them. Now, if I've got to contact 200 people, I can't write a personalized message on that every mm. single message. But but what I can do is at least check what they do, make sure that it's relevant and tailor that message slightly. It won't always be a completely personalized, I know everything about you, I'm sitting outside your house, I'm stalking you, I know your life sort of message. A lot of the time it will be a general, look, I'm working on a UX design role, it's with an agency, it's in Edinburgh, are you interested? That's fine, but they've got, it's fine if it's if it's all of interest. But if you get that message cropping up in your inbox every bloody week, then clearly they're just using a lazy approach to it. There comes a point where it's going to be it's actually going to be tailored and going to be relevant. Some of the stuff that I get, I get, I get emails from recruiters on a constant basis asking if I want to go and work with an agency. It's like I own my own business, no thanks. Um, but you just have to kind of shrug it off, and you're always going to get it in tech. And the more you get up the food chain, the more messages you're going to get, which is why it's so useful to just have partnerships with people that you get on with. Um, so that when you do want to look for a role, you just have to drop a quick message and say, right, I'm on the hunt. And they should know and they should know your background, the sort of thing that's going to be irrelevant. And then it's just a phone call about, or even a chat online about what's the next move? What's made you want to come out? Definitely. Um, and a little, because uh, so, I, I switched jobs back in December. 
Um, and I found myself because I've only just hit the point in my career now. I've been coding for like I've been working as an engineer for like three years. Now it's kind of the market has switched a bit more to where more I'm in demand rather than I'm chasing the opportunity. Um, and a little tip that I found for other technical candidates might be listening to this. And if you're getting quite a lot of messages and you want to check who's actually reviewing things, ask a question like midway through your LinkedIn profile. So I've got on mine, um, send me your favorite breed of dog or, or tell me about, uh, or like, if you like, or tell me if you're more of a cat person. And, uh, you know, if I get a message saying, oh yeah, you know, I love Labradors and I know exactly, oh, okay, cool. I know, uh, I know this person's checked my profile. So that, that can be a nice way of, uh, of doing it. If you're getting inundated, if you've maybe marked yourself as, um, available, I found, but so something actually I wanted to touch on as well, um, because we talked about this, uh, when we had a sort of intro chat, um, uh, last week, um, I, I was talking about CV writing, and you said, um, "Oh well, I don't think I've, I've looked at C- a CV in a long time." Um, so, so how how come that is? Has, has stuff shifted, or, or why, why do you think that is? It's not that I don't look at CVs; I skim them. Um, if I've got a design candidate, I look on the CV to where their portfolio is. It's the first thing I look for, and then I go into their portfolio, which tells me ten times the information that their CV is going to tell me. The CV tells me I worked for X company for a number of years and X company for a number of years. What I want to do and what any company that I'm working with is going to do is going to see what their style is and, and what their profile is looking like. Um, for example, if I wanted someone to do branding work for me, I'm looking for someone that's got a similar branding style to the kind of stuff I like. It's probably going to be 8-bit and uh, and blooming black and white, but um, but I look at style when it's on the design side and I, and that shows me a lot about the person it shows me how much they value the portfolio and how much enthusiasm they've got for it i see some people who on on cvs would look like amazing designers and you look at their portfolios and it looks like it's been done by a 10 year old <laughs> genuinely um so i don't i don't read it i only need to know what your last couple of positions were and then i want to speak to you or i don't and um, when it comes to software developers the only thing that i want to take out of cv is where you've worked so LinkedIn already tells me all this. But by the time I've even got to the point of speaking to someone, I know where, I know what they've done. What I want to find out is the person behind the CV. Apparently, apparently it takes seven seconds for a recruiter to read a CV, and I'd argue that's probably a long time. Um, and companies are exactly the same. If a company's looking at a CV, they if they use lots of recruiters plus an internal recruitment team plus a portal plus think think your big banks they've got 100 cvs landed on their desk for any given position now probably 95 of those can be instantly discounted so any hiring manager needs to be able to quickly skim and discount those those cvs um so you've actually made a point if there's something that's relevant and if there's something that you want to make sure that someone's reading your profile put it in the middle of the cv now that's a massive one because if you put it on the bottom of the CV, no one's reading it. No one. If you put your phone number on the bottom of your CV, no one's getting to it because they've looked at it for the top of your CV and if it's not there, they've moved on. So uh, CV writing in itself is an absolute, it's an art form because you need to make sure that the basic information comes across that's relevant to you in seven seconds. And it's so true. Yeah, definitely. And it's quite, it's quite hard because... If you show it to your friends and family, they're very likely to say, oh, it's great, you know, and a little tip I found is there are quite a few uh, um, like discords for software engineers, like the CS careers questions uh, one uh, on Reddit, their their discord server is quite good. They have a CV resume review. Uh, The actual members of that are like 
quite jumped up uh, sort of American university students are desperate to break into Fang. So they're, they're a little bit crazy. Um, but uh, they, uh, they they do give good uh, sort of resumes, I'd say, um, advice uh, to, to people. So don't believe everything you read on that subreddit, but do check out their Discord because they have a decent um, resume review channel because that's the problem with asking feedback. Same, same as you mentioned portfolios, which as well as for designers, as someone who does a lot of front end, it's quite important for me to have a decent portfolio as well because it's something that people can easily see. And if you're junior in particular, having something really nifty in your portfolio or just something fun that a recruiter can check out is really going to make you stand out. I remember one, um, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, actually. Uh, I found a front end developer who had a personal website where ever you moved your mouse, there was a picture of him and his head would follow your mouse around. So just a little, little something like that, which isn't the hardest thing in the world to do, but it's just really cool. Oh, there, there was a guy that designed this TV previously, that was Super Mario. Oh, I saw that one. Yeah, that was really good. Platforming basically Mario, and it was his entire portfolio was down through the level. And you scrolled your mouse down like you were scrolling through the CV and, the, and it played like a game. Um, I've seen a CV where someone had a. It was a. It was like a, a remote control car, and you drove the car around this map, and you could actually play it like a game. And you would go to certain points, and it would pull up projects. I've seen some phenomenal. I mean, fair enough. That's that's next level stuff. But you take someone that's done that with their CV. Ask any recruiter that works in tech; they'll know the one I'm talking about because it stands out. Um, and when it comes to the junior part of the market. I get loads of candidates that have got these phenomenal portfolios in things like design, or they've done some really interesting software projects, but they've got McDonald's at the top of their CV. I don't care that you've worked at McDonald's. I mean, great that you've had a job, brilliant, happy with that, but it's not relevant to what you're looking at. If you want to look at a job in tech, your CV should be a tech CV. Your part-time university job has got no relevance to it. If anything, you could take it off or it should be banished to the bottom part of the CV that no one gets to. Um, there's very much two forms of CV. One is a grad CV where you're looking to get your foot in the ladder and that should be what you did at uni, what projects you've been involved in, what um, what volunteer work you've done, your portfolio, your product, your GitHub, all that kind of stuff is absolute paramount because that's the real, that's the experience you've got. And it's worth 10 times more valuable information than the fact that you worked in All Saints or you worked at McDonald's or you worked anywhere that's not relevant to your industry. It should all be based around your studies and your personal projects and your motivations. Um, when you've got a more, when you've got experience in the ladder, then obviously it becomes a professional CV, in which case anything past three years is almost irrelevant. But agencies and agencies and companies are looking for what companies you've worked for, what the project was you were involved in and what your involvement in that project was, then all they care about is why you're looking to leave it and what your motivations are moving forward. So whatever your CV is, take all the take all the filler out of it, put it to one side for a minute and focus on what's actually important to you. What do you want to do? And try and get that down on paper. Yeah, I, I agree. The, the only thing I'd maybe have a slightly differing opinion on uh, with that is uh, if there's room for it and, you know, maybe you're in your first couple of years of your, of your professional career is, and if you did work at McDonald's or something, I would say maybe leave it on, but with no like description. Like you don't need to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I handled transactions for a multi-billion dollar corporation when you worked on checkout. But yeah. um, it does show work ethic as a grad. Oh, 100%, but don't put it at the top of your CV. Oh yeah, definitely. It's additional information. It shows you how to job when you were uni. But I would put an entire page 
detailing university projects and dissertation work and pro- personal projects, volunteer work. I would have a page on that and I would have a, a tiny paragraph at the bottom detailing mm-hmm. these were my professional roles I did while I was at uni, school, whatever, unless there's a text slant on them, in which case, big them up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it doesn't need to be on for long. And like, like you said, I think I did the same thing. It was right at the bottom. And the, the day I could take off the warehouse job that I got sacked from when I was 17 was a was a great momentous day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Actually, what's your take on uh, hobbies and interests on CVs? Personally, for me, I have a two-liner just show that I'm not a robot. So I, I talk about the fact I play rugby um, here in Edinburgh and uh, I sort of say, I think I've got this... I think it's the one of the line I've got is like, I'm usually, when I'm not coding, I'm usually found at Murrayfield, hill walking or butchering my favorite songs on guitar. I think that's literally all I have where it's like, it's like two lines at the bottom just to give a bit of, uh, add a bit of human to it, but it's barely significant. And it's at the bottom, like you say, like way out of the way. Um, what, what, what do you think? It divides people. That's why I'm asking you before I come out with my opinion. It really, <laughs> it really, really divides people, especially recruiters. You'll have loads of recruiters that say, oh, take them out. It's not relevant. I love them if they're real, genuine interests. Yeah, so, definitely don't lie about, about an interest oh, for sure. Don't, don't, I, again, again, if your hobbies and interests are travel, cinema, and food, forget it. It's not, unless you're like a food critic and travel the world doing food challenges, great, 100% put that in. But if you just like, like eating, brilliant um socializing as well as the classic (laughs) socializing yeah i did grad recruitment for a while and the amount of times i saw uh this would have been about 2016 uh socializing slash going on facebook like genuinely people putting out on their cv (laughs) i did not the best look i did if someone put cheese on their cv once unfortunately my client read that far and said his only thing on hobbies and interests is cheese i couldn't i couldn't explain it but um he didn't he didn't get the job off that one but um but like myself i mean i do like rock climbing mountain bike and open water swimming these kind of that 100 percent that would go on my cv because it's part of who i am it's part of my it's part of my personality and i think that's important because again my job is to match up people with like-minded people and match up people who have got different hobbies and interests so if you know if you know someone as a a rounded individual and not just what tech stack they work in then i think it's really really key but if you are going to put them on your cv make sure they're relevant they're actual genuine interests that you would want to talk about yeah definitely i I was going to say as well was that was that candidate cheesed off that you didn't get the job <laughs> that is such a the the uh, non-British audience will probably not understand that it's a very no, uniquely probably, British expression. They probably all just hung up. <laughs> well, we got them thirty-three minutes in, so that's pretty decent audience retention, I think. Are we, um, are we, are we still in quick-fire questions here? Now? Oh no, no, we moved on to longer form. Uh, it was a good segue. We just kind of like say <laughs> and all sorts of stuff. So. But uh, I mean, the the other questions I had uh, were more about when uh, assessing an opportunity uh, from a candidate's point of view. And it's something that particularly I've seen a lot of grads, including me, get caught out on where they think they're like my second recruitment agency job. I thought I was going to be living the dream and I was 21 and I was a complete idiot. And I, I, I drank the Kool-Aid and um, I, it was an 
I hated working there. I won't say what the company was, but I hated working there. Worst year of my life. It caused me mental health issues. Miserable all the time. Um, how can a candidate know uh, from your perspective, particularly if they're a young person, uh, if they're being sold a lie or if a company is a good company and somewhere that's going to progress their career? Oh, good question. You're talking to someone who's worked 15 years in recruitment and probably yeah. as many mental health problems as it did you. So am I qualified to answer that? I don't know. Um, go with, am I allowed to say go with your gut? I don't want to, it's a really difficult one because anything I say can be really leading um, in people's careers. And again, these things are all really personal decisions. The one thing I would say is before you even start a recruitment search, do you know what you're looking for? It's, I've got a number of questions that I'll always ask people is firstly, why are you looking? B, what you're looking for and C, what's your end goal? That's, that's pretty much my interview process when I speak to someone and then the rest of it's all down to vibes and how, and, and whether or not I've got work that matches up with their motivations. So if I was starting a search myself, I would be literally grabbing a pen and paper and I would be sitting down and I'd be writing out why I'm looking for a job. What do I want to do? Why am I? Fair enough. I'm in a job just now. I have a job. I have a business. But if I was moving on from this, when I did it, when I started the business, why do I want to start my own business? And my motivations were all around diversifying what I do, learning new skills, mixing things up, working in a way that I've always believed recruitment should be done with. Um, and making it more about the people so that's a big thing that's that's big for me and that was a big motivation for my last move um even if you're starting on the ladder where do you want to be firstly what are you looking for what motivates you i, I had this conversation actually half an hour ago with a candidate who works in both web development and ux design and literally the conversation was well what do you want to do next you've got two strings to your bow if you had to narrow it down what would you be doing and it was their answer was an 80-20 mix between the design element and the front-end development mix. They were really down that design thing. That's what made things tick for them. They wanted to work in an environment that gave them kind of upskilling, mentoring, that kind of side was, was a big relevance to them. And they there was a couple of industries that they were specifically interested in. So this is what this is what your job search should be based around. Not, I need to find a job in software development i'll go and work for a bank because there's loads of jobs don't go and work for a bank if you don't want to go and work for a bank if you want if you're going to work for a bank know why you're going to do it if you want to go and work for jp morgan jp morgan will train you and develop you and give you an amazing uplift for your first two years but you'll be working in banking so if that that doesn't interest you then you've got to weigh up the pros and cons on these things no employer is perfect I think that's a great soundbite. I'm also 100% cutting that out and using that as an audiogram uh, to promote it. No employer is perfect. And I think uh, another a good sign actually is when employers admit that uh, as well and say like, look, this is what we're working on. We don't think we're perfect. And um, yeah, I, I think you're right. There's definitely know, know what you're getting into and know that stuff is what it says on the tin. Like, you know, working in banks, not for everyone, but for some people that's, you know, a great opportunity. And 
Uh, also, as well, any promises, make sure they're in writing. Uh, <laughs> but this isn't a legal podcast. Um, but but yeah, it's uh, yeah, always good to see what's concrete and everything like that. And um, you know, if if someone's looking for a um, if someone's looking for a job and and uh, working with a recruiter, something that we we talked about partnerships. Um, would you say there's any other like key advantage, particularly if you're earlier on your, in your career, but really at, at any point? of working with a with an external recruiter such as yourself Do you know see when i was i worked with my first company in recruitment for eight years and it was one of these companies it was old really old school kpi focused like sweatshop recruitment like wolf of wall street stuff and that was what i was trained up in it took me seven years to realize there was a world outside of those windows i had no idea i was in my own little bubble my company kept me fed and and and, and, and focused and took you on holidays and all sorts of stuff and you just thought this was the dream and then all of a sudden a recruiter contacted me about other opportunities and salaries and all sorts of stuff and i realized there was a there was a whole kind of other world outside of those walls took me a long time to realize that and it was only then that i actually realized what value i brought to the table i then looked for when i made my first move in recruitment i did it directly with a competitor and I moved jobs. And when they asked me what salary I was looking for, I had no idea. Because I'd only worked for one company for seven years. I had no idea what my worth was. And I had no recruiter there to actually advise me on what the going rate was. So to this day, I've got no idea whether I undersold myself, oversold myself, who knows? Because I was just going on what I knew from my own little bubble. And my bubble wasn't other recruitment companies. So recruiters should be there to, <clears throat> they should be there to give you the bigger picture. I work with tech startups all day long. I sit on LinkedIn all day long. I chat to developers all day long. Actually, my last new client I'd never heard of until I was asked if I could have a call with them. And you know what? That was probably one of the most interesting elements because the reason I'd never heard of them is because no one leaves them. So there was no one popping up on LinkedIn. There was no that's one a, popping that's up. That's a good sign if no one's leaving a tech yeah. company. <laughs> The company was like a ghost. I had no idea what they did. It took me it was it took me about three conversations with them before I remembered reading the headline about them being this big new fintech in Edinburgh. Um, but no one ever left them and no one ever spoke badly about them and they just they, they were just growing and growing and growing, but people wanted to work for them. So that was a big thing. So your recruiters should have a general idea on the market. They should be there to advise and guide you. Um, if a candidate asks me for feedback on any company, it doesn't matter whether it's through myself or a direct application or another company, chances are I'll know about that business and about the pros and cons of working with them. And I can give, I can give what I know as advice and give them something to question. But <clears throat> the best piece of advice a recruiter can ever get you is to go and find out your own information and go and quiz a company. Interviews are a two-way street. And it's something that a lot of people, especially early careers, people get so excited about the fact they've got through the door and they've got an interview. I'm going to go and speak to JP Morgan, for example. I don't know why I've picked them today, but I'm going to go and speak to JP Morgan. I'm going to go and have an interview with them. That they go there expecting to be grilled for an hour, answer all the questions, and hopefully they get it right. See the best people that interview, they go and grill JP Morgan for an hour about why they should go and work for them. One of my favorite questions to give people, what are the challenges of working there? If you're sitting down with a hiring manager and you want to know what the pros and cons of a business are and whether they're aware of them, ask them what the challenges they face are. 
And if they say there's no challenges, red flag. Oh, because everyone's got challenges. Red flag. Dump in their glass door and you'll see what the challenges are. Um, <laughs> glass doors. Glass doors so ridiculously polarized. Yeah. If you want to have a good gossip as well, check out your company's glass. Uh, your own company's glass door. Oh yeah, great fun. <laughs> fun. So basically, glass door is just a, a combination of uh, managers that work there usually saying that their company's the best. And disgruntled employees will tell you it's the worst. But what you've got to do is read between the lines. And if there's a if there's a series of posts about a company that that claim the same challenge, the same problem with them as a business, and it doesn't come up in an interview, red flag. Yeah, the the bad company that I mentioned that did a number on me, uh, their glass door was hilarious because it's all five stars, all one stars, and the challenges are always like. Uh, the cons are like it's not for the weak-minded, or like <laughs> you won't. Um, if you're not ambitious, you won't do well here. Like uh, long hours, but those that will make it will make it. <laughs> like, or, or it's like high turnover, but those people uh, couldn't deal with it. Yeah, they, everyone that leaves is rubbish. Um, yeah, written by a manager. Yeah. Um, so you've got to take, but you do have to take a lot of these things with a pinch of salt. But see, if you see a company on LinkedIn, see loads of people that have worked there for twelve months. Why? Why have they only worked there for 12 months? If you've got a company that you that you go to interview and you ask them what the challenges they face as a business are and they can't answer, then why are they hiring you? If they don't have any challenges, then they don't need you. Absolutely. I think um, like another tip I found as well in, in my most recent job search was I, I, got, uh, I had four finals at four companies and they were my favorite four. Um, and I found someone who did as similar to me as possible. I've, I've tried to find full-stack developers, three years experience, and I added a bunch of them on LinkedIn, and the ones that accepted, I messaged them and saying, hey, sorry, you don't know me, but this is my situation. I've got a final with your company. Can you tell me a little bit about what life is like there? Because it's going to be a lot more honest. And also as well, you get some interview tips. Um, it, it was a useful strategy I found, and I, you know, I don't think I would have got offers. But the information's all out there to get, and that is one of the most brilliant strategies: is to just go and ask their, go and ask their people what it's like to work there. You'll get trends, and the people that are working there, they're not going to badmouth their company, but they'll be honest, and yeah. you'll get genuine feedback. The information's just it's, it, there's so much of it out there to get, and it's a differentiator. See, if you're the guy that goes into interviewing, you're connected with half the business, and you've been out there looking for this information, you're instantly a notch above everyone else that they're interviewing with. Because you've been proactive, you've gone out, you've done your research, the, you instantly look to an employer like someone who cares about their career. Because mm, it can only look positive if, if it gets reported back like, like that and you know they say, oh yeah, so-and-so can message me and ask me about the JavaScript jobs you have and like what 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 you like about the company and everything then it's only going to look good so um you know and uh you can even do it beforehand and if there's a company you want to work for uh before even interviewing um you can message and get chat with someone that already works there. you might even get a referral um what i would say is do be a little bit careful about that like i don't know if you come across this uh website called rooftop slushy where you can pay money to get referred into companies. It's very weird. It's particularly the fan companies. You can, uh, it's more of an American thing, but you can pay money to get referred into there. Um, I would really suggest don't do that. Uh, and also as well, don't sell referrals either. <laughs> I would suggest if anyone's asking you to pay for anything when it comes to your search, don't. CV writers, you don't need them. You do not need to pay someone to write your CV for you for a recruiter to skim it in seven seconds. If you work with a good recruiter, they'll tell you anything that needs fixed because it's their because they'll make money out of finding you the best job. 
So yeah, because I was going to say for, for those who aren't familiar, obviously recruiters make a uh, make a percentage of of your salary. Obviously, it's not taken out of your actual salary. So say if you uh, so uh, particularly for listeners from markets where uh, maybe recruiters aren't as common. Um, say you get a job for the sake of easy maths at hundred thousand dollars, they'll get the company will pay them fifteen thousand dollars for finding you. That that's how uh, that's how it works. Not like I'm explaining this to you. I'm explaining this to the listeners. <laughs> Is that, I've been forgetting to do that. But... <laughs> Um, <laughs> so your recruit, but your recruit should be working for you because it's in their interest to get you a the best job possible that you're going to stay at. So their companies like them, and you like them, and when you look for your next job, you'll go back to them. And it's their job to get you the most money because the more money they get you, the bigger their percentages with the client. Um, but again, that's a that's a that's a double edged sword. If you push too hard, you won't get the job. So it's their they're there to work out the equilibrium what you're worth on the market and what they can kind of tweak out for you. So a recruiter should get you the most money that you can get without overpricing yourself. There's nothing worse than overpricing yourself because you can cost yourself a really good job over a couple of grand because you just pushed for a little bit more thinking that it was there and they go with someone else because it can, it can cause alarm bells. So your recruiter mm-hmm. should be there to actually advise you what your, what your market worth is and what the market's doing. Um, I've had people in the last year where I've had, they've jumped jobs for a 20 pound pay rise i've had this year because they were massively undervalued in their current company and the role that they were going into was so much bigger and yeah 25 grand overnight <clears throat> because it's my job to know what someone's worth yeah definitely and it's like uh yeah, if you if you if you're working with someone who who really knows what they're doing and you've checked that they've got a good reputation in the industry, then it can it can just be the secret weapon uh, to uh, to really advancing in your career. And it's a lot of the time it is really worth. A lot of people disparage recruiters, and I think quite unfairly because a lot of times if you're working with someone who you know you trust, then they can unlock opportunities you didn't know about. They'll be able to do good negotiation on your behalf and uh, be able to give you the, the edge versus other candidates. And like you said they're much more experienced in negotiating than you are and they know where the mark is and that they can hit that balance without pushing too hard, but to get you the best deal possible. So it's a nice, it's a nice uh, advantage to have. Check me, selling recruitment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, be better if I was going to hate, don't use recruiters, we're horrible. <laughs> um, but recruiters should basically, should take all the pain out of the process. If you invest in recruitment relationships with people, as I said, people you get on with, people that you vibe with, people that you would go for a beer with, Find those people and then work with them. They might not have a job for you today. It might They might not have a job for you within the next month. But when they do have a job, you need to be there that they'll pick up the phone and they'll say, this has just landed on my desk. It looks perfect for you. This is what they're paying. I think it's worth this. This is the interview process. This is the people that are working there. This is the size of the team. They should take all the pain of it away, in which case you can then just go and do your own research, focus on the interview, Focus on going and finding out what that business is about and see if it's exciting to you. And you don't have to deal with salary negotiations. You don't have to deal with um, with hunting for job specs, application processes. All of that's taken off your hands. You just need to focus on making sure it's right for you. And um, so, something I was going to ask as well, obviously, we talked about uh, how much progress the central belt? I don't. Is Dundee included in the central belt? Central belt plus Dundee if it's not included. Dundee, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll make it very, very white, uh, very uh, tall central belt. Um, we've talked about how much progress there's been made and how that progress has really continued. And it's an exciting time to be part of the Scottish tech scene. Um, why? Why should people consider moving here from 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 your side? Do you think? As I'm someone who moved up relatively recently again. 
it's so cheap so it's funny it's like every time you speak to you speak to people that are coming up from london they're like i could buy a castle um <laughs> I've, I've sold my one bed bed set should i buy this castle or should i go with the swimming pool um but on a, on a genuine basis it's affordable it's you've got i mean three to be counted dundee is a massive tech hub it's getting there Getting so, out, yeah. yeah, so you've got Glasgow, you've got Edinburgh, you've got Dundee, you've got three massive tech hubs. I mean, global level tech hubs sitting in the middle of the countryside. You can be two hours and you're in the hills or you're in the lochs or you're out rock climbing or mountain bike and you've got all that sitting on your doorstep and yet you've got three massive tech hubs sitting in the middle of it. It's fab. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, I can, I can literally not even jump in my car, jump on the bus from outside my flat and in, I think, eight minutes I'll be in the Pentlands, which is like a regional park. Like and I live in like central Edinburgh. It, it, it's unbelievable. So yeah, and there's not a lot of places that you can that you can do that. And uh, and so when you compare it to to a lot of the places down south, like there's some great tech hubs down south. I mean, Manchester's massively up and coming and things, but but you've just got you've got such a good mix. And even when you look at Glasgow and Edinburgh, I I love I love both cities. Edinburgh's got so much history, and Glasgow's so cutting edge. That you've got two massive cities with completely different personalities, fifty minutes apart. Yeah, it, it's so easy to get between the two, and it's also easy as well to live in one and and uh, work in the other uh, as well. Like I was potentially looking at doing a couple of days a week in Glasgow uh, for a couple of opportunities I was looking at, and it, it is just so easy. Like being able to uh, being being in the belt, it's it's so. Um, despite the fact that Scotland is bigger than people think, the population is very, is very kind of compressed. Uh, so all, a lot of our major towns are very close together, apart, apart from Aberdeen and Inverness, basically, which I don't know, I guess is an advantage. <laughs> I'm not really sure if that's really a sales point. You know, I've never actually, I've, I've never been to Inverness. It's, uh, it's, it's one place I've never even visited. I, I mean, even Aberdeen, though, Aberdeen's up and coming. Aberdeen are realising the, the, the tech industry as a whole. Um, they're behind some of the other cities, but it never used to be on the radar because Aberdeen was an oil and gas hub. I actually used to, I spent 10 years recruiting for oil and gas and uh, tech was just like, they would do like a Windows upgrade now and then and that would be them. Uh, awesome, mm. their systems are up to date. That was about the interest they had because basically Aberdeen was just pumping money out of the ground um, and they didn't care. I mean, the thought of the thought of saving a million quid by having decent tech systems in place it's like a drop in the ocean. It was money from behind the sofa. Now, all of a sudden, the oil industry is in a completely different era. And the energy industries up in Aberdeen are now realizing that by implementing software and tech and process and putting all this kind of stuff in place, there's massive benefits to be had. So Aberdeen itself, it's, it's really actually up and coming. And I actually get quite a lot of kind of clients from there now um, looking to invest in software platforms so it's actually one to watch i think uh, mm. i think it's going to play, start playing catch up becoming so, a bit more affordable as well now because obviously like a, a few yeah. years ago you couldn't afford to live there Aberdeen was london prices it was uh it was it was yeah hugely expensive but again that's kind of balancing out and uh and if anything that's kind of leveling out with 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 the central belt now being the big tech hub the big salaries are in the central belt um and the salaries are climbing as well um, yeah it's ridiculous and because because now they're competing with because i work for a london company working remote but the edinburgh the edinburgh salaries and i'm sure the glasgow ones as well are now having to compete against these london remote companies so it's bad news if you're an employer um but but if you're if you're a developer or well if you're anyone 
then it's a, it's a great result because now the uh, there's more competition and you can earn more money basically, um, and still rent hasn't uh, rent and mortgages haven't gone up that much, relatively speaking. I mean they'll come at some point, but um, but yeah, I mean average software salaries. You could probably average out that over the last twelve months, salaries have climbed by ten to fifteen thousand pounds in twelve yeah. months, um, because there's so much demand. So it's uh, it's kind of one of these it's one of these places. Once you're established in the Scottish tech scene, you be you kind of want to want to be out of work. It would have to be a choice mm. because there's ten jobs for every candidate up here. Absolutely. Yeah, the literally the only downside is we have minimum alcohol pricing. That everything else is great. Uh, yeah, I can't get cheap bottles of whiskey anymore. You're not allowed to use discounts on it. Yeah, was it Buckfast has increased in price by three times? That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad yeah. thing. It's horrendous. Yeah, it's a funny one. It's it's a sort of policy that would have really bothered me five years ago, but nowadays. <laughs> nowadays it's fine um but cool yeah so um obviously i appreciate it. i've kept you for quite a long time now so thank you so much for imparting uh, your recruitment wisdom um upon uh, both scotland and the wider world um obviously you're working uh, you mentioned you've got a very exciting new client you're working in a number of roles at the moment is there anything in particular um that people should reach out to you if they have experience in at the moment i mean the main areas that i'm working on i've got i've got a lot of work in software development across almost every stack i mean there's there's java there's net there's node there's react there's front front and back end roles there's a whole mix on software um i like working on digital stuff specifically kind of ux ui design um i find that really interesting and then i've got clients that cover across kind of project management scrum management business analysis um i've got a couple of big testing clients who are always looking for people on that front so it's a kind of wide mix i mean in terms of tech skills probably everything other than data i don't know much about data it's not something i've ever focused much on and to be honest i pass most of that business over to another recruitment company that i know so um but uh, if it's in tech, if it's in digital, I've usually got stuff kicking around in it, or there's probably going to be something landing in, in the next 24, 48 hours. It's constantly shifting. Um, what I would say is if you're interested, in, if anyone's interested in having a chat, even if it's just for information, feedback, advice, then I'm always kind of open to have, have these discussions. Um, but yeah, I'll bounce it back to if you're looking for a job, just look for something that excites you. And and focus on something that would actually make you want to get out of bed in the morning. See if see if you find a job that you would rip your arm off to get. That's kind of what I focus on doing, finding people that kind of thing. Um, because it's the only reason to make a move. Um, unless you're just looking for experience, in which case go and get yourself twelve months experience, then go and find a job that you would rip someone's arm off for. Yeah, definitely. And that there's something to be said between that strategy as well, for sure. Um, and if people want to get in touch with you for either that advice or they could be a suitable candidate, is uh, is LinkedIn the best, providing they have a good formatted CV? <laughs> I don't need a CV, just a little... Yeah, true. Oh, we're back on this, are we? LinkedIn, keep your LinkedIn profile up to date. Um, yeah, LinkedIn is the best way. Um, to be honest, I check my emails once a day and I live on LinkedIn. It's the best way because it's all real time. It's basically just chat. It's a social network. So, um, yeah, reach out on LinkedIn and I'm pretty much always there. Sadly. Cool. Good stuff. And uh, um, and to the listeners, a link, uh, a link to Fraser's LinkedIn and mine for that matter will be in the description. And feel free to uh, obviously shoot me a message anytime. Um, obviously, I'm not a recruiter, but if you want, uh, if you want some advice, or even if you want to be a guest on the Code of Career at some point, then uh, then let me know. Um, 
but yeah, thanks again, Fraser, for your time. It's been been really awesome to speak and re- really interesting to hear your insights on the uh, on the tech scene and you know what people can do to stand out. Pleasure, mate. So yeah, no, it's been interesting. I don't know whether we even answered anything. I've just been ranting for like an hour. No, plenty of good knowledge. <laughs> Hopefully, we've answered something. But again, if uh, if anyone's got any questions, if anyone wants any advice, just reach out. Cool, good stuff. And thank you, listener, as well, for tuning in. If you want to speak to me, um, best way to get in touch, as I mentioned, is LinkedIn. But do join our Discord server as well if you fancy more of an informal chat. Um, we always have a CV review channel on there, actually, as well. And uh, we'll even review your LinkedIn profile as well. It's me and a few other uh, developers who are experienced in the industry. So do check that out. But until then, have a great week and happy coding. See you next Monday.